Hi, I'm Kate Boyle, and welcome to the Mind Movement Health Podcast. Each week, I'll be bringing you health information from diet and lifestyle to movement and nutrition. My aim is to bring you bite-sized pieces of information that you can instigate into your everyday life to change your health. Hi, everybody. I hope you guys have had a fantastic day wherever you are in the world. Uh, so tonight we are going to be chatting about, you know, how we can create consistency in our, and motivation in our health and fitness. And then also I'm going to be answering some of the questions that have come through and there's a lot that's come through. Okay. So diving in tonight, just having a quick chat about how do we create motivation and consistency when it comes to our health and fitness. And I think this is one of the biggest questions that I often get asked because we all know what we should be doing for our health and fitness generally. You know, we all know we should be moving our body and eating healthy foods and drinking plenty of water and getting sleep, but it's making it happen over and over that seems to be the hard part because life gets in the way. So some of the things that I like to suggest that you can try is a little bit like what we're doing this week, create really simple, healthy habits. When they become habits and you do them every day or every week, then they become part of your routines and it's so much easier to follow through. So I go for, I do some type of workout every morning, whether or not it's Pilates or go for a walk. And for me to set me up for that habit, to make sure that I'm going to get up and do it, I put my clothes out the night before in the chair. Now I do this for a couple of reasons. One, I don't want to wake my husband up by rifling through all my drawers because he never gets up as early as I do. And if I have to do that, I probably won't want to wake him up. So I won't make all that noise. So I get the clothes ready the night before. Then I know as soon as I wake up, I can see them. So I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to either have my shower and put them on depending on work- what workout I'm doing, or I'm going to straight away put them on and I'm ready to go. Plus, it takes that decision away of having to decide what am I going to wear, you know, what exercise am I going to do? I've already decided because I've worked it all out the night before. So creating simple, healthy habits is what really helps with our consistency. And, you know, when it feels overwhelming, if we are trying to do too many things at once, that's when we kind of give everything away. So I really suggest just adding in one new thing. So this week, you know, we, we picked three focuses, but if by the end of the week, you know, you only got through one of those focuses, that's okay. Keep focusing on that one focus and it might have been, you know, drink eight glasses of water a day. And then next week when you really feel like, okay, this is a habit, I'm doing it all the time now, then layer on and add in the next habit or look at something that might not be serving you and take that habit out. Okay. So it might be something like, every night after dinner, you reach for the chocolate box and want to have, you know, a couple of rows of chocolate. Well, could you look at taking that habit out? And what can we replace that habit with? Could we have a herbal tea instead? Could we go for a walk? Could we pick up our book and read for 10 minutes and then evaluate if we still still really need that chocolate? Could we swap the milk chocolate for a dark chocolate chocolate option so that we're not having two rows, but we're just having two squares of really dark chocolate chocolate? So looking at ways that we can make the habit simple, but then also swap out habits. Okay. Try that as well. Um, for fitness and movement, I like to schedule it into my calendar or my diary or my phone um, and look at it as an appointment. So if you were meeting a friend for a coffee, 
you wouldn't cancel unless something major comes up, okay? Or if you're booked in for a Pilates class, you are going to turn up because you've made that commitment to your instructor. You've usually also paid for the class, okay? So there's going to be losses if you don't turn up. And I like to think that around our health and fitness. We really need to prioritize it. And that's where we need to, you know, this week and yesterday, we were looking at our priorities and really make sure that we put our health as our priority. And if it is a priority, then we're not going to skip it. And we're not going to let something else come up and take over. Or if we do, because I know we all have those days, like yesterday, I was supposed to do my, I started teaching really early, you know, 7 a.m. in the morning. So didn't have the time to get up and do my exercise. And you know, I could have done it in the afternoon, but then I had to run kids around the time I thought I had. I didn't have. So what I did throughout the day before I sort of, when I realized that I'm going to be short on time is I built in a few five minute workouts in between the classes I was teaching, you know, and just did some weighted work so that I still got activation and I still had, you know, 20 minutes of movement, but it was, you know, 10 minute walk here and five minutes here lifting some weights and then five minutes doing some Pilates exercises between clients. So sometimes things don't go to plan and we kind of just got to work around it the best we can. But those are some really easy ways to sort of, you know, find that consistency and motivation-wise, set some goals, just small goals, but set some goals. Some of you have been writing in and sort of saying, you know, that even doing your Pilates workout today was a really big step and you set that goal to do that workout and you did it. You did that 15-minute workout and how good did you feel after it? So goals don't have to be big. It can just be, I'm going to commit to 15 minutes of movement every day and start with that. And then it might have been Monica, but I could be wrong. She was saying, you know, she went for a walk with her husband and it was only going to be a shorter walk and it turned out into being a two-hour walk because they were enjoying it so much. So sometimes when you start moving, that gives you the motivation to keep moving. Um, and then also, you know, other things that I like to do is like listen to a podcast or put my favorite music on. Uh, and that just sort of, you know, helps to give you motivation to do the workout or, you know, sometimes I'll be meal prepping in the kitchen and, and listen listening to a podcast. So I'm learning something at the same time as well as, you know, getting some food ready for the week. So then it's all organized and less stress. So some easy tips and tricks to use, but you know, in the end, I think it really comes down to prioritizing your health and fitness, finding out what your why is, and then really working towards that. So I know when I move my body, I feel so much better. I have more energy. I'm definitely happier. Okay. In a better mood. I have less pain. I don't have any, you know, sort of tightness. You know, my mobility is better. I turn up to work better. So, you know, knowing that's the end game and how I feel, that gives me the motivation to then do the exercise. So, you know, think about that sort of end goal and how you feel at the end too. And that can also help with motivation. Okay. So let's start to move into questions. Otherwise I could have you here all night listening to this. It's all looking good. So let's start to move into the Ask Me Anything questions. Okay, so Annette wrote in and said, um, demonstrating on the breathing through the pelvic floor after listening to last night's recording was really good. I understand a bit better now. Um, so what I want to say on that is if you are still unsure about the breathing, go back and listen to last night's live because I really did break down the breathing pattern, the engagement, how they work together scientifically, why we do it. And then 
you need to practice. So as I said, practice standing, sitting, driving the car, washing the dishes, doing your Pilates workouts. Um, you know, just when you've got a couple of, you know, moments where you can just, you know, lie down on the floor and place your hands over your lower abdomen. So I think as a tactile feedback, placing your hands over your lower abdomen, where we were talking last night, where that underwear line is, is a really good feedback tool to feel that transverse contracting. Now, you will feel internally your pelvic floor contracting, but if you are doing a Pilates class, your Pilates instructor, we can't see your pelvic floor. It is internal, okay? But we can get a general idea if you're working with an experienced instructor, whether or not your pelvic floor is working or not, because some people will try to brace their abdominals where their abdominals push out, okay? When we really want to be feeling this drawing in feeling through those lower abdominals. If you have had a prolapse, a, you know, really traumatic birth, if you have any leakage or incontinence, you know, issues, then most probably, most probably, you have a weaker pelvic floor. However, you can have a hypotonic pelvic floor, so a strong pelvic floor that is also weak. So you can still get leakage even though you have an overactive pelvic floor. So that's probably the best way to look at it, overactive and underactive. Um, so you can get checked, your pelvic floor checked by visiting a pelvic floor physio and they can do a real-time ultrasound where they just put the ultrasound on your lower abdomen and they can see the contraction of your pelvic floor. So that is worthwhile doing if you are unsure how strong your pelvic floor is, Okay find a really good pelvic floor um, physio in your area and then see if they do the real-time ultrasound. Um, but they can also check your pelvic floor. And when you go see a pelvic floor physio, they will do generally an internal examination to check the strength of your pelvic floor. Okay, so moving on to the next question Annette asked is, she said, can Pilates work for me? I can't get down on my knees. So yes, lots of Pilates move you can do lying on your back, lying on your side. So yes, if you can't get on your knees, you can do back work, side work. Um, in the membership, we have seated work on a chair. We have standing workouts. So there are lots of other options with Pilates. You don't have to do a lot of knee work. Um, we tend to do knee work when we're doing full point kneeling and plank. Okay. And sometimes we'll kneel and do upper body arm work. But again, you can sit on your bottom or you can sit on a chair. So definitely options. Um, I know a few of my older clients that I teach in the studio, they come to the studio because they've had a hip replacement or a knee replacement. And so getting on and off the floor is a little bit harder. So that's where the equipment Pilates can be a really great option to look into as well. All right, Penelope's question. Hi, Kate. A lot of Pilates exercises incorporate strength training. However, are any more effective than others? Okay, so when it comes to strength training, I probably I'll just finish the rest of the sorry the the uh, question. Or do we need tighter springs, ankle weights, or hand weights to assist with strength and bone density? I tried heavyweight machines earlier in the year, but didn't appeal to me. I have an osteoporosis diagnosis in hips and early stages in arms. Okay, so what we do know when it comes to building muscle mass, building bone strength, and helping to overcome osteopenia or osteoporosis, we need to add load to our workouts. We need to add load so that we can start to build muscle and bone strength. So when it comes to your Pilates workouts, if you want them to be beneficial for your osteoporosis, you need to add weight. Now, this weight can be in the form of hand weights or springs or resistance bands. 
But the caveat is we really need to be building muscle mass. So we need to be doing a higher load and lower reps so that we're really building the muscle rather than working the endurance of the muscles we have, which would be a lower weight and higher reps. So generally in Pilates, we do a lot more endurance work. So we have a lower weight and higher reps. Not all the time, but you know, if you're going to a class, you might get, you know, 20 reps of this and 30 reps of that. So if you can do 30 reps of something, it's going to be helping maintain your muscle mass and your bone mass, but it's not going to be really pushing the needle to build more muscle and more muscle mass. This is where we need to add the weights in. So in the membership, we have workouts, weight workouts, okay? Um, and in a lot of them, I'm working with two kilo weights, which can get really heavy when you're doing like overhead work and especially, you know, deltoid work out to the side and stuff. So what I would say, because I know that you're a part of the membership, Penelope, is to really, you know, invest in a set of hand weights and add, start adding them into your workouts. And you really want to push yourself to, you know, max is going to be 10 to 15 reps. If you can do any more than that, then you want to go up to that next weight. Okay. And in your other workouts, adding in resistance bands, we know the resistance bands, you know, have different colors depending on their strength. So you may have like either a yellow or a red or a green, which is lighter, and you may start with those, but then you want to move to that sort of blue, silver, and black band to really start to up the load, okay? So yes, strength training is different. When it comes to wanting to build muscle and bone mass, we have to really up the weight, and that if we up in the weight, it means we can't do as many reps, okay? Um, especially with osteoporosis, we need to be loading with that weight or you need to be doing, you know, jumping. So trampoline, jumping is a good one, okay? Or um, hopping as well, obviously safely, you know, correct shoes, supervised if you need, you know, all of the caveats, do it with a practitioner but we do need to be adding that load. And then in combination with that, we need to make sure that you're also eating enough protein to help build the muscle. And then you're also getting enough of your calcium and your vitamin D in your throughout your diet, which is easy to do. You know, you can eat your um, um, vitamin-rich veggies, all your leafy greens, um, strawberries, cheese and milk and yogurt if you're into those. Um, and then... Um, Protein sources, you know, if you eat meat and fish, um, fantastic. And then eggs and cheese. Um, and then again, lentils and beans for that other side of it. So that's kind of the other side we need to work on with osteoporosis. So I hope that makes that sort of a bit clearer. When I'm working with people in the studio with osteoporosis, we'll definitely be working with the hand weights, standing, doing more standing, sort of sitting down, squat work, lunges, really getting those compound moves. So we're getting as many muscles working as we can those big muscle groups, and then loading them up, okay? Hi, everyone. I'm interrupting this podcast to let you know that Paleo Valley is having its biggest sale of the year for Black Friday and Cyber Monday. From the 24th of November until December 1st at midnight, you can get 
35% off your purchase as well as choose a free mystery gift valued at between $25 and $60. Now, this is their biggest sale of the year. And as you all know, I love the Paleo Valley products. I myself take their vitamin C, their turmeric, their organ complex, and it really supports my health. To check out their amazing sale, head on over to the podcast show notes and click the link to grab your discount. Okay, Petrina says, after doing Pilates for a little while now, I know I have the breathing technique and abdominal switch on right when I'm laying on my back, but it becomes harder to know if the abdominal switch on is still as strong when I'm moving into side-lying exercises or four-point kneeling. Perhaps because the concentration is on the other muscle groups to complete that movement when I'm in these positions, um, it's different, but I thought I'd just check. So this is where I was saying last night, when we are practicing our breathing, it's important to practice our pelvic floor and core engagement in all different positions, sitting, standing, twisting, bending, um, leaning, rotating, uh, all of these different things, because it's going to feel different in each position. Now, when you are first starting out, the easiest position to feel that connection with your pelvic floor and transverse is lying on your back with your knees bent and your feet resting on something. So it could be the edge of your couch. In the studio, we use a fit ball. We put it underneath the back of um, the person's legs and they just have the legs bent and resting on the fit ball. Now, the reason we do this is because by lifting those legs and resting them on something, it means we're taking pressure off the pelvic floor and the abdominals so we can connect and feel them activating more strongly. Okay. So this is the easiest position to feel that connection with your pelvic floor and your deep abdominals because there's no load on them in this position. When we start moving into a sideline position, for example, as Petrina said, you have to remember, but we've got two sides of our pelvic floor. Okay. And that underneath side that's closest to the floor is obviously under a lot more load than the top side. So it's going to feel different in a sideline position, okay, especially with different loads on each, you know, the underneath side's got the weight of the body pressing down on it um, than the top side. That is going to feel really different for your pelvic floor and your core because also in that sideline position, your obliques are going to have to come into play and work harder than it is on your back. Okay. And so then you can think about, well, when I'm in a plank, it's different again. When I'm sitting, it's different again. So our easiest position is lying on our back with our legs supported. So definitely start there. If you have a weaker pelvic floor, you just want to strengthen your pelvic floor, or you want to really just start to connect to the the, um, Pilates breathing. Then the next easiest position is sitting. Okay. Again, Majority of the weight of the body of your lower half is supported by the chair. So our pelvic floor is just supporting the upper half of the body. Okay. And then the hardest position is standing. Okay. And then harder again, we would be standing on one leg. They would be rotating and flexing. So you can see how it goes on. And the stronger you get and the more in tune you are with your body, the easier it's going to feel that it's connecting. So I've been doing Pilates now for 20 plus years, which is a really long time, but it's still harder for me to feel that same strength of my pelvic floor connection when I'm in a plank as when I'm lying on my back because I've got so much more load that I'm having to activate and hold when I'm in a plank position compared to lying on my back. So I still know I've got a good engagement for that position, 
but it's not the same feeling as when I'm lying on my back or lying on my side. So that's just a sort of a thing that you get used to over time with your body, but know that it's completely normal to be like, oh, it's on my back. It's super easy. But when I get into a plank, oh, it doesn't feel so easy. Okay. And that's because everything has to work harder. So I hope that explains that. All right, moving on to our next questions. All right, just a couple more. So Heather said, is there a good balance of steps or movement per day and strength training activities? Okay, so ideally, if we are looking at an ideal world, how many days a week would we be moving? We'd be moving seven days a week, okay? Spoken like a true uh, movement professional, huh? So realistically, we want to move our body every day, okay? But that doesn't mean it has to be an hour and a half or whatever every day. just means we need to get some movement. Now, I really recommend you get a good balance between your cardio exercise and your strength training activities. So cardio is going to be things like walking, cycling, swimming, running, hiking, anything that's getting your heart rate up, hit workouts as well, okay, anything that will get your heart rate up. And then your strength training activities are going to be Pilates, you know, lifting weights. Um, you might be doing, you know, gym circuits and things like that. So something that is going to make you have to work harder with some type of resistance. So really we want to be looking at like three cardio sessions a week, and three strength training sessions a week in an ideal world. And then your seventh day would be a rest day. Now, when it comes to steps, everybody has this sort of 10,000 steps in their mind. I can't remember ideally where that came from. Okay, there is an origin of that. But the new research that has come out is saying that we should be aiming for about 7,000 steps a day. Okay, if you can get 7,000 steps a day, they're giving you a, a big tick to say that you're getting a decent amount of movement. What I would, you know, if you wear a a wearable watch or whatever that's counting your steps, really try to aim for 7,000 plus because any any movement at all is fantastic and any amount of steps is just adding to more movement, okay, which means you're going to be more mobile, okay, move better, feel better, have more endorphins flowing, generally have lower stress levels unless you're doing a really high-intensity, you know, exercise that may be pushing cortisol up, but things like, you know, going for a lovely walk or a swim or a bike ride, you know, all of this stuff adds up and all the incidental activity where you're like walking to the car, you know, because you've parked over here, um, going into the shops, going back and forth in the house, doing chores, they all add up to steps over the day too. So it doesn't just have to be um, specific time of exercise. So they did a really interesting study where they had um, cleaners. So they had a group of cleaners who their belief was that they needed to exercise either before or after work because they thought in their mind that their job was work, but it wasn't exercise. Okay. Then what they did is they got these bunch of cleaners and they, you know, tried to change their mindset to say, you know, they got them to wear a, a wearable watch that showed you have them how many steps they were doing a day. You know, they were leaning and scrubbing and pushing and pulling in all their cleaning. And they explained to them that this is a form of exercise. Now, after the period of time, which I can't remember exact period of time they did it, they actually found that the cleaners that had changed their mindset and realized that the movement they were doing at work was exercise 
they actually lost weight, okay, their blood sugar levels dropped uh, and their um, cholesterol reduced too. So they just the mindset, you know, of changing that what you're doing throughout the day is movement actually then change their physiology and change their weight, which is pretty amazing, really. Um, so don't think about that incidental sort of movement as being a waste of time because it really adds up, okay? And then with your three sessions of your sort of resistance training, you might find like one of those is doing a Pilates workout with weights. One of them is just body weight movements in Pilates. So, you know, all your normal Pilates work where we're doing, you know, like our, all our side work and our plank work and our standing work, or we still add in lunges and squats, all of those is still resistance work, okay? You can add in a band, ankle weights, hand weights. Um, you know, if you're at, in a studio, you can add in the springs. So all of this is resistance training on top of your gym work if you want to add that in too. Um, I really like adding in when I am teaching and you'll see in the membership workouts, there's always some compound movements, which means we are always, you know, adding in some small squats or lunges or planks. We've got these movements that are getting lots of the muscles working in the body so that we can build our strength. Okay. But also remember it's going to take time. So a few of you are sort of saying, you know, you were just struggling a little bit getting in through workout one and that's okay. Remember, it's just going to take time to build up your strength. So, you know, your first few sessions over the next month may just be body weight workouts. You might not feel like you will need to add in, you know, weights yet, but then after a month of doing these body weight workouts, you then can find that you might be able to add in hand weights or add in a band or add in the Pilates ring, okay, just to help you work out that little bit harder as well. Okay, last question for this evening. Lucy's question. She said, you spoke about nutrition. I've always been a calorie counter and become quite obsessed. I know that it's more about whole foods and reducing added sugars uh, and salts. This sounds ridiculous, but how do I know I'm not eating too much? Okay, so this is a really great question, Lucy, and one that I work with a lot when I'm working with my nutrition clients one-on-one. Um, I'll give you a general answer for food guidelines, but it is very individual to how much you eat because it depends on your genetics, okay, obviously your height and your, um, you know, cultural sort of background and the activities you're doing throughout the day, the type of work that you do, the type of exercise that you do. So all of this kind of combines to determine how much food you need to be eating. And so when I'm working with nutrition clients, that's something that we will go through because I'll get a thorough history of all of that that I've you know, just said, as well as what they're currently eating, their energy levels, um, blood test results and things. And then we design, you know, their nutrition plan, which includes how much they eat into that. Now we don't, I don't count macros in that, um, or calorie count with my clients. I think that can be a really great tool when you're starting off. Um, and for people that may have no idea, you know, of how much to eat, it can be a really great place to start, but it can also become really restrictive. So you can, and like you said, sort of Lucy, it can become a bit addictive because you want to weigh things. You want to make sure you want to, you know, and when you're doing that all the time, it can sometimes suck the enjoyment out of food. And then other times when you're, you know, want to go out to a restaurant, you can get stressed over, well, I can't weigh this, you know, or if you go on holiday, you can't do it either. And so it can create unnecessary stress. 
but general basic guidelines when it comes to how much we should be eating. One, what you could do is pay attention to your fullness signals. So when you're eating, you want to eat to a point where you feel content, okay? You feel like you've had enough to eat, but you don't feel bloated. I don't know how the best describe, you know, you get that feeling where you just feel too full and you might get a little bit of indigestion or you feel uncomfortable in your tummy. You know, you've just like, I do it. I've, well, I used to do it when I was younger, not so much now. Um, I'm that annoying person, um, in the restaurant where I'll leave like two bites of food on my plate or, you know, a couple of bites of cake. Um, and one of my clients, um, is a chef and she's like, Oh, you're the type of person that annoys me. Cause I think, why couldn't you just eat those last two bites? And when I was younger, I didn't leave those last two bites. I would eat it and then I would not feel so great. But I've learned as I gotten older what my limit is. So, Paying attention when you're eating, being present when you're eating is really important too because if we're watching TV or on our phone, our signals from our brain to our stomach to release leptin, um, the hormone that signals, you know, hello, we're full, we've had enough, it doesn't happen the way it should. So chewing your food, being present, you know, you have a conversation, you know, with someone that's around you. Otherwise, just really try to chew your food 20 to 30 times each bite, which is a lot more than people think too. Um, that helps with digestion. Being really present um, can help. And then when it comes to portion sizes, for me, we're looking at the palm of our hand, Okay. So, you know, chicken, beef, lamb, all of that, we're looking at the palm of our hand. When it's fish, you can have a little bit bigger than that, sort of, you know, another sort of quarter to a half of your palm because it's a, a lighter protein, fish and shellfish. Um, when it comes to your vegetables, you want to be looking at, you know, if you have a normal size plate, I should have put a plate in, but you'd have a quarter of your plate being your protein source. So meat, fish, eggs, cheese. Um, beans, lentils, you know, as a few, you'd have a quarter of your plate as your carb source. So that could be, you know, sweet potato. It could be your rice, your quinoa, your pasta. And generally you're looking at about half a cup as those carbs. And then the other half of your plate is vegetables. So we're looking at, you know, one to two cups of vegetables. So your ideal plate is a quarter cup or sorry, a quarter of protein or your palm. Okay. When we're looking at a plate, a quarter of the plate is your carbs or about half a cup of carbs. And then the other half of your plate is vegetables, which is usually about one to two cups of vegetables. So you know, generally speaking, that's what we want to be looking at portion size wise. And, you know, you'll often get plates, they have like a rim around them and you want to be eating in that inside rim. Okay. Generally. Okay. But, um, you know, it depends on again, the person, if I'm, that's, this is generally when I'm working with a female, if I'm working with a male, you know, and he's so much taller, then we're going to be upping his intake of, you know, his palm size is going to be bigger. So that's fine anyway, but we may be upping his carb intake, his veg intake, and then depending on, you know, his protein and then snacks and stuff throughout the day. So, you know, 
basically it can be like an open-ended question. It's very individual, but just for that sort of general guidelines, think about that, you know, palm of your hand, quarter cup and half the plate of veggies. Um, and then also pay attention to your hunger signals. Um, you know, if you're waking up in the morning and you're really hungry, maybe you didn't quite eat enough the night before, before bed. So, um, yeah, have a think about that. Get really in tune with your body. And we know also like if we ate, you know, a high protein breakfast, let's say we had some scrambled eggs with some avocado and grilled tomatoes. And then for lunch, we had, you know, a roast veggie salad with some chicken and olive oil, you know, really lovely dressing. And then for dinner, we had some fish and um, sweet potato and veggies that would probably for most people be a pretty good feeling day. We might have, you know, a snack in the afternoon, maybe an apple and some bliss balls or something. That would kind of be a really good standard. And then generally, you know, if we're reaching for stuff after dinner, like sweets or savory snacks, we're not reaching for them because we're hungry. We're reaching for them because generally we want comfort in some type of way, whether or not our cortisol levels, you know, are, or blood sugar levels are going a little bit crazy. Um, maybe we need magnesium. So we're craving chocolate, but we actually want, we actually need the magnesium. Maybe, you know, we've had a really stressful day at work or with the family and we just think, oh, you know, that chocolate, I always just feel so good if I have that chocolate. So there's usually some type of emotional component that can contribute to um, overeating when it comes to that sort of type of emotional eating, not the standard really healthy food because it's really hard to overeat when we're eating veggies and fruit and, you know, grains and protein sources. Um, but it's very easy to overeat when we're eating snack foods because they're designed to give us that real strong flavor hit but things like, you know, chips and crackers and that, they're dehydrated. So the volume of potato that you can eat in a chip packet is crazy compared to eating, you know, a whole potato. So, but they're designed that way to be addictive. So we eat more of it and the uh, food companies make more money, but that is a whole nother topic. So wrapping up tonight, we've touched a little bit on Pilates, okay, on nutrition. So if anybody has any questions, please reach out. Uh, otherwise, have a fantastic day, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. Bye. Thanks for listening in to the podcast. Please hit subscribe to be updated for each time we release a new podcast.